Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy uh, 2021, that uh, magic moment when uh, 2020 ended <laughs> a few days ago. I know it's the, it's, it was the day, the week, the time everybody was looking forward to. So we welcome everybody to 2021. We wish you the very, very best, lots of success. Uh, can't say that disruption and transformation will end. Uh, as many people <laughs> hope, we're going to go back to calm and orderly and uh, kind of roll the clock back to where we were in 2019. Clearly um, not. But, but we will be here to uh, guide you and help you. And, and we're going to we're going to literally walk off the deep end, deep end today uh, with Jeff Wald uh, talking about uh, the future of work. And and uh, as his book title says, and it will surprise you what his meaning and the message behind that about the end of jobs. Uh, so it's actually a lot more positive than that. So we hope you stick with it. But uh, Joyce, uh, welcome back to uh, 2021. It's great to be did. back. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. But yeah. I got I got a liberal education on how uh, how a city, how a locale can operate to control this pandemic much better than what we're doing here in the U.S. Yeah, and again, we're, I can't wait to hear some of the stories and, and share some of that. And we hear that. Um, you know, one of the themes that we've been talking about, uh, in fact, it was part of our theme on the last show and then uh, having a lot of the experts chime in, is what were some of the things that happened in 2021 or 2020 uh, as a result of the pandemic that we should keep, we should learn from that. We should, you know, that hopefully will be improved. And, you know, we we took for granted for years and years and years, uh, you know, we had the flu and it was just taken for granted that we get sick. And it was from simple, some very simple things. Maybe we should have been wearing masks before during the winter season when we're locked up inside and people came to work and they were sick. Uh, we went well, clearly that. <laughs> yeah, but but it wasn't. I mean, people the 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 compensation. I mean, people had to take off work, um, so they came in sick. They didn't want to use their sick days for the wrong reasons, or they didn't have sick days, or they didn't want to use their vacation days, whatever it was. So very simple things: wash your hands, keep your distance, wear a mask. Um, maybe that will stick, and we'll all get through <laughs> the winter seasons and some of the other outbreaks that we have a lot healthier. So who knows? But there's there's many, many other things that we should uh, we'll be talking about and we'll be talking about, especially with the future work, remote working, working from home, well-being, a focus on well-being, taking care of people, engagement, all that stuff. So we're excited about. Uh, I'm actually doing an interview on the 22nd in the morning on the future of health and wellness. Oh. I mean, I'm I'm being interviewed at a yeah. conference. <laughs> Standing, yeah. And uh, in fact, I just spoke this morning. I just uh, got invited to speak. Um, well, I, I had the dates, but I, I wasn't sure if they were going to have it. But it's a virtual meeting. It's an, it, it's actually for the in, India Automotive um, Components Manufacturers. And I'm um, keynoting next week of what technology is going to, you know, what technology is, how it's going to disrupt HR, the way we hire Worldwide problem. Everybody thinks it's in their own backyard. It's only in our industry. It's only happening in small businesses. 
Um, it's only happening in the U.S. No, it's a it's a global global problem. And uh, and when you talk about that, please do not forget to talk about the experience element, because no mm -hmm. amount of technology works if the people are not having a good time with it or we had that very yeah we had that very conversation this morning because i have like 25 minutes it's a it's an intro keynote it's about 25 minutes and they had like six bullets and i said okay where, <laughs> where do we start we want to focus on the technology or the human or the humanness and i don't know how we separate them but i'll i'll emphasize one or you know one slightly over the other but they they work hand in hand but i i really want to get jeff on um yes i jeff um i I, I think he, I don't know if it was Jeff or his publicist uh, approached me a few months ago. the The title of the book captured it. My name, you know, captured my attention. The end of jobs. Uh, we keep hearing about that, and there will be an end to some jobs, some job titles, some careers. Um, but fascinating, the it doesn't mean that it's the end of work. Uh, and right, one of the right. other things that captured my attention, uh, I got to put my glasses on here. Jeff is uh, actually also working on the Future of Work Prize. Yeah, we, we're definitely going to be talking about that. That's very exciting. Yeah, I want to sure. hear all about that. Yeah, hopefully uh, both of us, or you and I are around because it won't be um, distributed. It won't be rewarded until 2040. So these are the predictions for 2040. So, 20 short years from now. A million dollars <laughs> after. So anyway, uh, Jeff had a company. Uh, he had, Well, he has a company. It was called Work Market, uh, which was uh, he sold that or was acquired by ADP. Many of you are familiar by ADP. Yes. Uh, and uh, again, uh, the top, he was talking a lot about on-demand work. I, I, I was listening to his books the other day. And I found myself walking about an extra mile because I I, I, I sort of just was meandering just to say, I'm gonna, oh, I'm going to listen to one more chapter, one more chapter. And I, I just kept going. Uh, very, very fascinating, because especially with the disruptions we're hearing now with remote work and with Uber and Lyft right. and people were working remotely and, you know, no what's going to happen to jobs and people are going to just hire freelancers. And uh, it was fascinating. He says, no, that's not the future of work. So we're going to hear it straight from Jeff. Uh, so I'd like to invite uh, Jeff Wald, W-A-L-D, uh, to the show. And uh, we'll get him all synced in out from the green room. And there he is. Hey, hey Jeff. Well, thank you so much, Ira and, and Joyce. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you both. And Ira, I think that might have been the best compliment I've ever heard about the book is that it got you to walk the extra mile. You were so engaged. Yep, that is fantastic. <laughs> so, a new tagline. It's a book. That, so talking about well-being and experience and, and everything else. So I uh, appreciate you being here and especially kicking off 2021 um, because uh, the, kind of the, the world of unknown unknowns. So let's start with uh, let's kind of start with the beginning. Uh, you, you had a company. You had a company uh, work market. You've been a serial entrepreneur. You mm -hmm. have it a couple, a few companies. Uh, so give a little bit of, of your background and then, then let's dive into where you think things are headed. Well, as you said, I have started a few companies. I started my career in finance with JP Morgan uh, and started a company that we built up, eventually got sold to Salesforce, which is a good exit. And then 10 years ago, we started a company called Work Market, a platform for managing your freelancers raised about 70 million from SoftBank, Union Square Ventures, and a few others. And as you mentioned, in 2018, we sold the company to ADP. I had a pleasure of being a part of the ADP executive team uh, for a couple of years. 
but deep down I am still an entrepreneur and so uh, we I finished up my my lockup period with them and I remain an advisor to this great great company of ADP the world's largest HCM software company and now I'm off thinking about what is next but talking with people about this book that we published in June of last year excellent so Let's talk uh, about the on demand. I mean, you talk a lot about on demand labor. Mm -hmm. So let's just start uh, with what that is. Um, I think some people are familiar with it, but let's make sure we're all on the same page. But again, what captured two things captured my attention right away was the title, The End of Jobs. And then the second thing was that on demand labor is not the future of work. It is not. So I love love that you're starting with definitions because there are so many lexicon issues in the world of work where people are talking past each other because they're just not talking about the same stuff. On-demand labor is any employment resource that is not a full-time or part-time employee of that company. So it could be a vendor, it could be a freelancer, it could be a temp. Those are all on-demand labor resources. You turn them on and you turn them off. Whereas your part-time employees, your full-time employees, there are obligations that you have from a regulatory standpoint in terms of onboarding and offboarding them. And you believe that that contingent, the contingent labor force is not going to be the wave of the future. Is that what I'm hearing? 100%. And Joyce, I appreciate the fact that you just used another term that we use in the on-demand world, contingent work. Uh, gig economy, a host of things. Right. So hard no, it is not the future of work. I will tell you this, when I started work market in 2010, everybody in the world of work predicted on-demand labor is going to be 50% of the workforce by 2020. I remember thinking to myself, that's ridiculous. Like that's not even gonna remotely be true. It didn't stop me from putting it in my investor decks because you know it's a great statistic and you always want that big trend to be your friend <laughs> when you talk to VCs, but Look, it wasn't going to be true then. The predictions now, by the way, are that on-demand labor will be 50% of the labor force by 2030. In 2010, <laughs> on-demand labor was somewhere between 25 and 28% of the labor force. Very tough to actually pin down. We can spend mm -hmm. hours talking about that. Are we talking globally? Or are we talking U.S.? We are talking the U.S. and the EU. They're about the same size in both. Okay. And so, but most of my research, I will certainly say, is very U.S. focused. But 25 to 28% of the labor force, and 10 years later, we find it to be 27 to 30% of the labor force. So it's got about 3% market share gain over a 10-year period. Slow and steady growth to be sure, but a transformation of the labor force, something that is going to suddenly change the way the world works? Hard no. There is no data to support it. There is no data in the world of work. There's no data in the history of work, and there's no clear path in the way companies actually engage workers. And all of those are why I wrote the book, is we want to look at those evidence bases, the history of work, the data of work, how companies actually engage workers. And when you start to look at those, you get a much better sense of how the future of work is going to unfold. So real briefly, can we just go back? Because we talk a lot about we talk about jobs, and 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 you know, of course, most of us have only been around on the planet for for X number of years. Um, but the concept of a job, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is the acronym that I always heard was a job was just over broke. Uh, <laughs> uh -oh. but, from an entrepreneur world, right? <laughs> so if if you have a job, it, it just means you need a paycheck. Uh, but the 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 concept of a job is relatively new. 
in the course of the human experience, it is relatively new. It's about 180 years old. It is not the way we have structured ourselves as humans. It is not the way we've structured society for millennia. It is a very new construct. What is ingrained in our DNA, if you will, is the idea that we're going to have a portfolio of work from which we're going to be able to provide for ourselves and our families. And that starts to sound like a freelancer. That's kind of deep in our DNA. Being an entrepreneur is deep in our DNA. Getting up and going and clocking in nine to five for somebody else, that is a very new construct for humanity. Yeah, and I love what you, you said. Uh, I just want to make get the, the quote, but it, it was, I just put it up there. It was one, the, the concept of one office, one manager, nine to five yeah. is done. It is dying. That is the end of jobs. When I talk about it, that is the job that is dying. Not jobs in total. You know, we can jump into predictions on the future of work because of robots and AI. I am predicting no net job losses. Sorry, I'm just not predicting it. That is what the data tells us. Right. But the job that is dying is that one office, one manager, nine to five job. That job has been dying for 30 years, and it is one of the many things that this horrible pandemic that we have persevered through and God willing, we are almost done with, uh, has accelerated. So are you, are you predicting and, and as a futurist, I was always taught to use the word forecast. So are you, I'll use forecasting. Are you forecasting a collapse of the hierarchical system so that it's, flat systems is that what you're talking about jeff when you say one manager is that what you're talking about not necessarily the organizational structure may evolve in a host of different ways because you have more distributed uh employees you have more work done in a team construct the idea of one office meaning more remote work more flexible work arrangements which is really the more predominant situation remote work is actually a very specific definition of more than 50 percent of the time it's got office uh, infrastructure implications. It's got tax nexus implications. Flexible work arrangements are, you know what, for two weeks, I'm going to work from here, but then I'm back in the office or I'm going to every third week, I'm not going to be in the office. That will become predominant. So that is the one office. The one manager is the idea that you're not just getting your work every day from one manager. It's not the back and forth with one manager. You're working in more of a team construct. It might work with the marketing department might be working with procurement. I might work with some outside vendors. I might work with some freelancers and some temps. Those are team environments. And then nine to five, I mean, does anybody really think the nine to five job is still there? <laughs> Jeff, I'm really having a difficult time making the leap from people who have certain skill sets mm -hmm. to what you're describing, which is that they would be able to work with lots of different departments. So they would have to have a, a much greater skill set in order to get that done. No, I don't know that their hard skills would have to evolve. Their mindset has to evolve. The mindset of being engaged in change of collaboration and things like that, that certainly has to evolve. But Joyce, what I'll, what I'll say is this, no change. I mean, none that I have seen or researched, uh, read about in the world of work happens like that. That is one of, of the misconceptions in the world of work that, you know, you guys understand, but a lot of people don't. They think, oh, well, this new tech exists. All the jobs there are going to go. Hard no. 
That has never happened. It never will. Oh, on-demand labor. Oh, it's going to grow so quickly. No. Things in the world of labor move very clearly, very slowly, very methodically. So there's no, oh my gosh, all the hierarchies change or oh my gosh, all the skills change. It's never happened that way. And I would be hard pressed to imagine a world in which it does happen that way. But slow, steady change, change that was accelerated by this horrible pandemic. Absolutely. So again, going back to the lexicon of of things that are being thrown out there uh, this morning, I think I got three pitches. You want to comment on what I think uh, the future, the future of work was going to be related to remote work or Mm -hmm. working from home and distributed workforce, distributed workforce. And they throw all these into this, into this one pool. So they use them interchangeably? Yeah. Yeah. And again, so let's, let's talk about this. We talk about on demand. When we're talking about on demand labor, we're talking about contingency, staffing, uh, temporary staffing, what? Contract labor, too, contract right? Labor, mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is different than remote work. So you can be a, we can have a traditional nine to five job mm-hmm. working from home. I'm not sure that that's the way it's evolving since it's 24 seven, it seems for, for some people. Uh, but we can, we can work from home. We could be remote. We could be distributed. But we can still be a full-time employee. And not be on demand. 100%. And I think people are confusing that. It's like, well, I don't want to, I, I need a job, but I don't want to work. I, I don't want to be remote because the assumption is, is that they will be an Uber driver. Or are you telling driver. me, Ira, that people are confused about this incredibly complex world of work? And where's it going? Me. Maybe it's just me. You know, <laughs> so I'm really struggling. This stuff really is not. incredibly, incredibly complex. And I often talk about the ATM and I talk about it in the book. And how the ATM came out and everyone said, oh, my God, all the teller jobs are going to go. And when we look 25 years later, there are 20 percent more tellers in the United States. And I say to people when we dive into that example is that any simple statement on the future of work belays the mass complexity that goes into labor resource planning. And so this is a very complicated area that requires complicated study, that requires a lot of thought and analysis. And once you do it, then we can make a prediction. But there are a lot of people out there that just like to talk. I will tell you this quick anecdote. I was I was on a panel. I was invited by a company. And one of the panelists said, I think 50% of the workforce is going to work remote when the pandemic's over. I was like, interesting, interesting. I'm sorry. And let me interject here. Um, how do you juxtapose that with the fact that only 42% of the workforce can work remotely? Because, you know, manufacturing and transportation and entertainment and a lot of retail jobs. And he said, oh, oh well, I, I didn't know that. I said, well, shouldn't you know it, though? Shouldn't you know that if you're going to open your mouth? Unfortunately, that was the CEO of the company, so I wasn't invited back to that group. But those are the kinds of things that need to be checked. You can't be making those statements. This stuff is incredibly complicated, and it it requires those of us that do speak in a public setting to be thoughtful and to be data-driven, to be evidence-driven about what we're saying. So one, you, you mentioned this earlier, uh, again, one of the complexities with this, and, and, it, and it was probably the reasons that the remote work, the, the working from home, even telecommuting was, was very slow. I mean, it's been around. The, the, this, I, in fact, I, I, I wrote a book in 1999, it was the perfect labor storm, and it was about the future of work. And, some, and all I did was capture all the predictions and put them into a book uh, from everybody said. 
And at that point, they were talking about the same thing was telecommuting was or they weren't calling it remote from work from home at that point. But telecommuting was just going to skyrocket. You know, it, it was going to increase exponentially. And here we were 20 years later. And the pandemic, no doubt, accelerated right. that. Um, but uh, when we when we go back uh, and we start looking at some of the tr some of the trends, some of the things that are going to happen, um, what what do you see? You know, I'll go back to my question. We asked a lot of people at the end of the year. What are some of the things that happened in 2020 that you see sticking around that we should keep um, to continue this evolution uh, of of what jobs and work are? So it's such a great question, Ira. You know, you think about this tech acceleration that occurred during 2020 with digital currencies, digital payment, remote work teleconferencing and all these other things and how much will snap back, right? How much will we still go to the mall or still go somewhere? Or are we still going to buy everything on Amazon? We don't know yet. There isn't enough data. Here's where we have enough data and surprising nobody. I'm going to start with history and data. Remote work or telecommuting represented 3% of the U.S. workforce prior to the pandemic. At the height of the pandemic, it was about 40% of the U.S. workforce. I think where we will end up is 8% post. Now, let's remember a few things. 8% is out of our natural limit of 42%, right? That is the natural limit in the US. So it's about 20% of people that can work remote. Two, that definition of remote work, that's more than 50% of the time. If you ask me who's gonna have a flexible work arrangement, we're upwards to 32, 33% of the labor force. So the vast majority of those that are capable of not being in that office. Those are things that I think are not only unbelievably good trends, they're very powerful and they're very data-driven because we are starting to see them play out in terms of what the CFOs and C-suite are saying, in terms of what workers are saying, how commuting patterns are evolving as some cities came off lockdown and then a lot go back to lockdown. But here's what we 100% know, remote workers or people with flexible work arrangements are happier, they're more engaged, they cost the company less, they cost the worker less, the worker's less stressed. They stay at the company longer. They have lower attrition rates. That is what every study told us about these remote or flexible workers prior to the pandemic. So net net, this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I hope it stays and the data tells us that it's going to stay. One of the things that I wrote about in my forecast was the value of flex time, flex space. Uh, and I believe that we're going to see people staying with employers. I mean, I, I did some work for the state of Colorado and both the, the two women who were in the top positions in that organization for the state controller's office shared with me that they never would have stayed had they not had that flex time and flex mm -hmm. space that they were able to raise their families, you know, juggle all of their different responsibilities. And those kinds of things, I think, are the kinds of things, Ira, that you were talking about that we should keep. And we should understand the value to people in, in having companies embrace the flex time, flex space, and f other kinds of flexible work arrangements. I was on the phone with the CHRO of one of the world's largest law firms, 
and I asked her, what is your silver lining on the pandemic? And she said, prior to the pandemic, in order to work at this firm, you had to come to this office, one of our global offices, and you had to come every day. And we had a lot of people, huge talent pools of people that we could not work with because they would say, well, I need a flexible work arrangement. We was like, nope. And now they are able to do that. So now the entire talent pools are opening up to this company and to those workers. And that is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Thank you for sharing that. So Love I, it. I know one of the challenges, you know, going forward, there's a lot of good things that are going to happen. We can talk about nexus and regulations and, and, you know, and you mentioned it earlier, Joyce, about upskilling, you know, learning new skills. And, and that's certainly one of the threats. Um, Jeff, to you, what are, what's the, what are some of the biggest challenges that we see here? And then I also want to leave you time to talk about your prize. Please. So the biggest challenge in my mind, without question, is retraining. Now, I am a firm believer that there will be no net job losses through robots and AI. But the key word there is net. There will be tremendous job losses. 10 to 15% of the US labor force, upwards of 25 million people will be displaced over the next 20 years. And we will create more than 25 million jobs. But how do we get people from industries, from geographies, from skill sets that are declining into the areas that are growing? Because as a society, we have done an incredibly poor job of this over human history through each of the industrial revolutions. We did a poor job. We did a poor job in the United States with the 8 million manufacturing workers that lost their job over a 20 year period. And if we don't provide that retraining, if we don't provide that reskilling and the support necessary, we do so at our societal peril. And so that to me is the biggest challenge without question. We're, we're, we're literally talking corporate suicide. 100%. Like, and societal. Look, Joyce, these are times when you look at the history of huge technological innovations, huge job loss, and then eventually huge job gain. You look at that history in that trough period where workers are left behind and you see literally blood in the streets. This is time of mass social upheaval. Mm -hmm. This is time of revolution. This is not a pretty picture for societal stability. And we owe it to the workers to make sure yes. that we are providing them with the services they need to get into the jobs that are growing. And the services are there and there's massive changes in technology, VR training that is mind blowing, just mind blowing in terms of what can be done. Yes, and, I, and, I, I, and I'm gonna encourage everybody to, to definitely pick up Jeff's book. Uh, it'll, it'll be good for exercise because if you, if you listen or, or not, you can't read it while you're walking, but if you, if, if you're, uh, on your, on your treadmill or, or something and you're reading or listening, uh, you'll go an extra mile, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the, the concept, and we, we just, unfortunately don't have a whole lot of time to, to cover it is about that safety net uh, about, again, we talked about jobs as rel relatively recent. And so is the safety net, the safety mm -hmm. net, not even in the U S and in the Western world, it's not even 100 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and and so, again, all that needs to evolve and we need to take care of people. But before you go, uh, let's talk about this prize. I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, I think it's 10 million. Is it 10 million dollars? It is 10 million dollars. Look, I have the honor of being an advisor to the X Prize. And so as I was writing this book, I thought through wow, writing a book really is hard and I'm not very good at it. And how do I make this process easier? And a very good friend of mine said, oh, you should get contributors. And so I reached out to 
a number of people, 20 of whom agreed. And these are the men and women that are really shaping the future of work. Impressive list. It's an amazing list. Heads of the largest staffing firms, heads of the largest unions, CHROs from some of the largest companies. I mean, it was such an honor that they agreed to do it. And I thought, you know what? Let me ape the X prize and put out a $10 million prize. Uh, I will only award it in 2040 because we have to see whose prediction is most correct. But I asked each one of them to write their vision of the world of work in 2040. Some are very dystopian, some are very, very optimistic, and some are right down the middle of the road. And I am super excited to, at some point in 2040, award the $10 million prize to one of the authors, which has been a, a great, great joy to, to be a part of. Well, well, I'll make you a deal is after you award it, hopefully you'll come back on the show. <laughs> I will very much look forward to it. Very much. I will be here January 1st, 2040. Mark it down. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Jeff, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Obviously, you can go up and look for end, uh, The End of Jobs. I thought that there were two books for The End of Jobs, but this one's by Jeff Wald. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It It is sold everywhere fine books are sold. I wish I could say go into your local bookstore, but unfortunately, that's not going to be a reality for some people for some time. But uh, there's this company called Amazon that has it, that uh, you can find it. And uh, any of your listeners can always find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at, at Jeffrey Wald. Thanks. Any final words, comments? Just one of gratitude to you and Joyce for having me on the show. This was super fun, super fun conversation. And I hope everybody walks that extra mile. It was <laughs> great having you. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being here. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you very much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And very grateful that, uh, that you took the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great year. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks. Same to you. Okay. So you've been... What a way to kick off the year. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, the first show of the first show of 2021, first show of the fourth season. Uh, and uh, couldn't think of a better way to kick it off than uh, with Jeff. Uh, sort of gave us a million topics. My mind's racing with different ideas uh, to go through the course of the year to explore as well. Uh, hopefully uh, the listeners uh, experienced that as well. Uh, we are going to take a short break, as we usually do, and we're going to come back uh, with Joyce's segment, Ahead of the Curve. Don't know what the what we're talking we're, about. We're going to talk about some of my workforce workplace trends. Oh, we're okay, going to continue. Perfect. Okay, we're going to continue on that. Uh, so, again, thank you, everyone, for listening to Geek Skis or watching uh, Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, we will be right back after hearing from our sponsors. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet, that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry, to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 800-803-4303. A lot of you might be feeling like you're standing in deep shift, but do you know what grows and rises out of deep shift? Opportunity. 
To successfully navigate the shift to the new normal, each of us must learn to rapidly adapt to the speed of change. Some of us are hardwired for this, others, not so much. That's where Success Performance Solutions can help. Success Performance Solutions is now your AQ headquarters. Whether you are personally struggling with the next chapter in your career or wondering how ready your team is for fast, disruptive change, our AQ assessment and coaching will provide you a detailed, scientifically-backed roadmap to guide you into the new normal. Optimize your adaptability today. Contact Success Performance Solutions about evaluating your team's change readiness or joining our upcoming AQ Masterclass. Visit SuccessPerformanceSolutions.com or call us at 800-803-4303. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm Ira Wolf. I'm here with my co-host, Joyce Joya, from the Herman Group. Um, again, uh, we really appreciate uh, Jeff Wald uh, talking about the end of the end of jobs, but not the end of work, uh, being on the show. And uh, hopefully you'll pick up his book. Uh, we are now in our Ahead of the Curve segment. Uh, which we started uh, two, three months ago. And uh, each time Joyce brings up a new topic or a subject. And uh, this is a great segue uh, and a continuation of what we were talking about, uh, kind of sharing what her forecast uh, from our celebrity futurist, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ira, as you know, every at the end of every year or at the beginning of the new year, I issue something called the in this case, the 2021 Workforce Workplace Forecast. And I had so much to talk about because of the pandemic and, and the effects and, and just adding that as a, another element. I, I decided to chop it up into two parts. <laughs> and we'll see how far we can get in the time that we have today. Absolutely. But... Let's let's first start with the fact that the global economy is in peril, and let me explain why. And I, it's it, it, the U.S. as well. And I am more hopeful today than I was yesterday, because I believe that there will be uh, enough enough support in the U.S. Congress to support our restaurants and our small businesses and our people so that we will not succumb to this kind of uh, downward spiral that could happen to many countries in the world, who, by the way, will be delayed in getting the vaccine from when we are. I, I was uh, blessed to do some work for an organization in in uh, the Philippines a couple of weeks ago. And when I looked at how soon they would be getting the vaccines, it won't be for another few months because they're still in negotiations with the companies. And for whatever reason, they turned down Pfizer. I, I don't know exactly why. Maybe they like Donald Trump thought that, oh, we've got so many other vaccines that we're that are in the pipeline. We don't need to jump on this one right now. But anyway, the the bottom line is that in many countries of the world, 
due to the fact that it will be months before vaccine rollouts, we're going to see small and medium-sized businesses not be able to survive unless they're getting support from the government. And in many countries of the world, especially the developing ones, there just aren't the resources to do that. Joyce, let me just comment a couple things. And and this continues on what we talked about with Jeff. There were, despite the fact that it was really for me, it was definitely a disruptive year, whatever side you're on, whether you thrived or, or you're barely surviving. Um, but we we still are functioning. I mean, the economy's down. I mean, you know, the stock market's up, but the economy's still moving along. Uh, I just got Alan Ballou's uh, forecast. Yes. They're talking about uh, there's going to be a dip, a little bit of a dip in manufacturing this first quarter. But all the signs they see, it's going to be strong through the rest of this year into uh, mid-year of 2022. So we're seeing even a sector that was hard hit, uh, th- th- relatively hard hit, that will be you know thriving. So that's right. a positive news. Uh, there were a lot of, th- you know, we talk about high unemployment and disruptions and bankruptcies. There's more businesses, and we talked about this on the last show, more businesses that started then failed. Now, some of them may be on life support. Ira, I I just need to stop you. I was talking about the global economy. You're talking about the domestic economy. But but even globally, I mean, globally, companies are struggling. But the fact is, the the UK shut down again. Lockdown, right? Yeah. They've got huge problems. Yeah. But they are still functioning. I mean, it's, it's not... It's they are functioning and their small businesses are not their their restaurants their local restaurants are not able to to stay open their hotels are all shut down i mean it, you, you know it you're no question yes they are still functioning i don't dispute that at all I, I, I need to move on. Economics forever. Right. So uh, we've got changing demographics that are reshaping the workforce. And I mostly focus on the U.S. when I look at these these developments on the in the workforce and workplace. And the U.S. currently has five generations in the workforce. We have generations X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. And we have baby boomers and we have the matures uh, who are still hanging in there, sometimes even doing manual labor, like working on loading docks or something. Mm-hmm. But they, they define themselves by their contribution to society and the work that they do. So they want to be there. So uh, I have recommended to employers that they invest in their people in at this time and continue to look at how they can reskill, upskill, do, do to make sure that the people are going to survive. And we just lost Ira, so I'm going to keep going. Uh, I've also recommended that that organizations ask their frontline people uh, what they need from them. And and that will 
really, it'll do two things. One, it lets the employees know that the organization really cares about them, Mm -hmm. but it also uh, helps the organization because then they know what to do. You know, asking people what they want is so underrated. (laughs) (laughs) I met one GM in in Cairn. He was uh, the the GM of the Hilton in Cairn where I stayed. I think Mm -hmm. it was on my honeymoon. So it was 11 years ago. And he, every, every week he has one point, one hour that he sets aside and he goes to different departments and he asks them, what do you need from me? How can I support you in doing a better job? I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, and, and he's had some, some fascinating responses from people and he takes, he always takes action. And that has helped him to keep his, his employee turnover under like 5%. It's crazy. Yeah. And again, going back to just some of the things that happened, I, I think not for every company, some companies struggle with it and, and they were just waiting for things to go back to normal. But there's a lot of companies that really transformed the way they communicated. They really understood that. Um, Wasn't that great though? It oh, was absolutely. wonderful. We, we talked about that transparency and that authenticity that, um, again, you're sitting here and things happen, then you fumble or the, or, or the child runs into the room or the cat comes in or we screw, you know, the phone rings, whatever it is. And if it's all of a sudden we, we, we acknowledge that we're all human beings, we all make mistakes, we all shared that personal side. And that is a huge positive rather than just having this cold and corporate structure. When you come in, you leave all your personal feelings behind. And from day one, I don't know, it was from day one, from every time there was a water cooler in the workplace, (laughs) everybody always said uh, the, the water cooler was where things got done because people let the guard down and they talked and they chatted or the lunchroom. And then you'd go back into the more traditional settings um, so again, hopefully that's one more positive that comes out of this. Yes, I'm sure that there were conversations around the well at one time. <laughs> okay, so let, let me keep going because I'd really like to get through part one if I can. Some workforces have taken hits because there were 300 in, uh, in the U.S. alone, over 350,000 people have died. And many of those people were older workers who were the intellectual capital of the organization. And so those those organizations are going to need to look at what do they need to do to make sure that they preserve their intellectual capital moving into the future. Uh, The number five was the inability of companies to recruit the needed employees that they will need in order to flourish in the years ahead. So it's going to handicap, you know, it's, it's the whole uh, uh, Ed Gordon concept of, of 10 million jobs yeah. open. Believe it know? from what Jeff just said. I mean, yes. you know, basically we, uh, you know, the, there will be jobs. There will be t- up to 25 million jobs that the job titles will go away. There will be jobs for those people, but they will require different skills. And I've been 
uh, saying this for quite a while. I think it either came from uh, one of one of the studies, uh, either the one from Oxford or World Economic Forum, that two thirds of all jobs will be one third automated. And as I say facetiously, that does not, not mean that everybody gets to go home at 25 hours a week um, because the rest will be automated. It means that for the rest of that job, you're going to have to learn new skills. We're going to have to learn how to work cooperatively and collaboratively with technology. There will be good jobs out there, but it requires a new skill set. Right. Well, or maybe what Jeff was talking about, maybe just a a different, uh, maybe just more of an openness to taking your skills and applying them in a slightly different way. Adaptability. that's what he he answered me when I said, you know, don't don't they need additional skills in order to work in different areas of the organization? Um, anyway, so uh, the one of the solutions for organizations is to embrace the whole concept of career pathing, mm-hmm. so that people understand they can come in at this level this level (laughs) and and they can grow to this level without leaving the organization and in some cases it's actually a hopscotch career path within the same organization so they could come in here and they could move over here and then we could put them here and then here. So that it doesn't have to be totally linear either. Well, well, I'll take it one step further is the hopscotch could be with other companies. You know, it got it used to be that if you leave, you're not a loyal employee. We just we just invested three years and trained you and you left. So we're never hiring you back, except they went to another company because there was another opportunity. They learned new things from that culture. They may learn new skills that that and then they came they would come back with more advanced skills or different skills or a different outlook. So that pattern doesn't have to be only within an organization, but it could be. And again, there's a lot of people talking about those shared teams that you may not have one boss. You may have multiple bosses because, hey, your expertise is needed on this team. Now it's needed on this team. Now it's needed on this team. And those teams may be mixed teams. So, And here's a radical idea, really radical idea. Kind of like uh, from one of the Christmas movies that I, I, I think it was Miracle on 34th Street, when Macy's was sending people to to the other store. I can't remember the store. Sachs. It might have been Saks. No, it wasn't. It was it was right across the street. And I was there in New York when it was still across the street. Gimbals. Gim- Macy's was sending people to Gimbals and Gimbals was sending people to Macy's. And the radical idea is that companies that don't have those jobs for people to be promoted into. Shared workforce. Exactly. Would cooperate and say, okay, I don't have a job for Tim. Do you? And, uh, and that, that company would say, well, uh, great, but can you take Jane and find her a job in your organization? So, yes. And then the, the last one on my part one was uh, that becoming an employer of choice. And I don't mean earning that designation, although I encourage people to look into employeroftchoice.com, of course. But being the preferred employer will not be optional. Because if you want to attract that top talent, you need to be 
the one that they want to go to. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's funny. I just, I literally, I'm doing a presentation for the International Business Show and I'm doing it with a colleague. They they paired us up just remotely. We happen to, both of us happen to have worked together for 20 years. And I did, he just sent me his slides. And one of his slides are what employers will have to do for recruitment is become an employer of choice. Oh. <laughs> so if oh, that was definitely, my piece. You so should I, definitely I, you know, put employeroftoice.com. We'll <laughs> We'll definitely so, include that. So, uh, so we are just week, about out of time here. So I know. Okay. Uh, okay. But I just wanted to quickly mention this week in my Herman Trend Alert, and I encourage everyone to sign up for the Herman Trend Alert at www.hermantrendalert.com. I'm going to be talking about access as the new currency. And we'll talk about that in a future uh, edition of Ahead of the Curve. Take it away, Ira. Excellent. Again, what a way to what a way to kick off 2021. Uh, so excited! Uh, next week, I was looking up while uh, you were saying a few things here. We got Derek Lunston. Uh, Derek has a company called Life Guides. Uh, in uh, the end of the month, we have Jason Cochran, uh, and he's got a company I Aspire. We're going to be talking about something near and dear to your heart. We're going to be talking about well-being, helping. How do we get those employees engaged? What can we do to improve the employee experience? So. Joyce, you'll be in your uh, your your heyday <laughs> those times. Uh, but we want to thank My everybody. Element. Yeah, th <laughs> thank you for coming back um, and listening. Uh, I know we had a lot of people. Uh, we had a, a little activity on LinkedIn. We had people say, "Oh, I can't make it live, but I'll we'll be sure to listen to the the replay." Uh, again, thank you very much for for helping us kick off uh, twenty twenty one. And we wish you lots of success. You've been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm Ira Wolf, your host. I'm here with Joyce Joya. My co-host, uh, make sure that you sign up for Googleization Nation uh, and you will get updates uh, about this show, other shows, webinars, other events that we're going to have and the HermanTrendAlert.com so you can get Joyce's newsletter and uh, anything you miss or we don't cover here, you'll be able to read about. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. Oh,